0: Chapter Twenty Eight of Old Town Folks. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Old Town Folks by Harriet Beecher Stowe. Chapter Twenty Eight The Raid on Old Town and Uncle Flackam's Bravery the next morning after thanksgiving life resumed its usual hard laborious course with a sharp and imperative reaction such as ensues when a strong spring which has been for some time held back is suddenly let fly again certainly aunt lois appeared to be astir fully an hour in advance of the usual time because aunt lois was under some vague impression of infinite disturbances in the house owing to the latitude of the last two weeks and of great furbishings and repairs to be done in the best room before it could be again shut up and condemned to silence while we were eating breakfast sam lawson came in with an air of great trepidation Lordy, messy, Miss Badger, what do you suppose has happened?' he exclaimed, holding up his hands. "'Well, if I ever—no, I never did,' and before an explanation could be drawn out of him, in fluttered Uncle Flyakim, and began dancing an indignant rigadoon round the kitchen. "'Perfectly abominable. The selectman ought to take it up,' he exclaimed. "'Ought to make a state affair of it, and send to the governor.' do for mercy's sake fly come sit down and tell us what the matter is said my grandmother i can't i can't i can't i've just got to hitch right up and go on after em and maybe i'll catch em before they get over the state line i just wanted to borrow your breech band cause ours is broke where is it is it out in the barn or where by this time we had all arisen from table and stood looking at one another while Uncle Flykem had shot out of the back door toward the barn. Of course, our information must now be got out of Sam Lawson. Well, you see, Deacon, whoever would have thought of it. They've took every child on em, every one. Who's taken? What children? said my grandmother. Do pray begin at the right end of your story and not come in here scaring a body to death. Well, it's Aunt Nancy Prime's children. Last night the kidnappers come to her house and took her and every single one of the children and going to carry em off to York State for slaves. Jake Marshall, he was round to our house this morning and told me about it. Jake, he's been over to keep Thanksgiving, over to Aunt Sally Proddy's and way over by the Ten Mile Tavern he met the wagon and Aunt Nancy she called out to him, and he heerd one of the fellers swear at her. "'It was two fellers in the wagon, and they was drivin' like mad, "'and I just come runnin' down to Mr. Sherrill's, "'cause I know his horse never gets out of a canter, "'and's pretty used to bein' twitched up sudden. "'But Lordy Massy s'posin' he could catch up with em. "'What could he do? "'He couldn't much more'n fly at em like an old hen, "'so I don't see what's to be done.' "'Well,' said my grandfather, rising up, "'If that's the case, it's time we should all be on the move, "'and I'll go right over to Israel Scrantz and he and his two sons, "'and I'll go over, and I guess there'll be enough of us to teach them reason. "'These kidnappers always make for the New York State line. "'Boys, you go out and tackle the old mare, and have our wagon round to the house, "'and if Flycombe's wagon will hold together, the two will just carry the party.' lordy massy i should like to go long too said sam lawson i hain't got no special business to-day but what could be put off as well as not you never do have said aunt lois that's the trouble with you well i was thinkin said sam that jake and me has been over them roads so often and we kind of know all the ups and downs and crossroads. then we's pretty intimate with some of them injun fellers and you git them sot out on a trail after a body they's like a huntin dog well father said aunt lois i think it's quite likely that sam might be right here he certainly knows more about such things than any decent industrious man ought to and it's a pity you shouldn't put him to some use when you can just so said sam now, there's reason in that there, and I'll just go over to Israel's store with the deacon. You see, you can't take both the boys, cause one on em will have to stay and tend the store, but I tell you what, Tis, I ain't no bad of a hand a hittin' a lick at kidnappers. I could pound on em as willingly as ever I pounded a horseshoe, and a woman's a woman, and chillin's chillin' if they be black. That's just my opinion sam you're a good fellow said my grandmother approvingly but come go right along here now was something to prevent the wave of yesterday's excitement from flattening down into entire insipidity Harry and I ran over instantly to tell Tina, and Tina, with all her eloquence, set it forth to Miss Mehetable and Polly, and we gave vent to our emotions by an immediate rush to the garret, and a dramatic representation of the whole scene of the rescue, conducted with four or five of Tina's rag-dolls in a little old box-wagon, with which we cantered and recantered across the garret floor, in a way that would have been intolerable to any less patient and indulgent person than Miss Mehetable." The fact is, however, that she shared in the universal excitement to such a degree that she put on her bonnet immediately and rushed over to the minister's to give vent to her feelings, while Polly, coming up Garrett, shouldered one of the guns lovingly and declared she'd like nothing better than to fire it off at one of them fellers. And then she told us how, in her young days, where she was brought up in Maine, the painters— panthers used to come round their log cabin at night and how they'd growl and how they always had to keep the guns loaded and how once her mother during her father's absence had treed a painter and kept him up in his perch for hours by threatening him whenever he offered to come down until her husband came home and shot him pretty stanch reliant blood about those times flowed in the bosoms of the women of new england and polly relieved the excitement of her mind this morning by relating to us story after story of the wild forest life of her early days while polly was thus giving vent to her emotions at home miss mehetable had produced a corresponding excitement in the minister's family Ellery Davenport declared his prompt intention of going up and joining the pursuing party, as he was young and strong, with all his wits about him, and with the prestige of rank in the late Revolutionary War, such an accession to the party was of the greatest possible importance. As to Miss Deborah Kittery, she gave it as her opinion that such uprising against law and order were just what was to be expected in a democracy. The lower classes, my dear, you know, need to be kept down with a strong hand, she said with an instructive nod of the head, and I think we shall find that there's no security in the way things are going on now. Miss Mehetable and the minister listened with grave amusement while the worthy lady thus delivered herself, and as they did not reply, she had the comfort of feeling that she had given them something to think of all the village that day was in a ferment of expectation for aunt nancy was a general favorite in all the families round and was sent for in case of elections or weddings or other high merry-makings so that meddling with her was in fact taking away part of the vested property of Old Town. The loafers who tilted, with their heels uppermost, on the railings of the tavern veranda, talked stridently of states' rights, and some were of opinion that President Washington ought to be apprised of the fact without loss of time. My grandmother went about house in a state of indignation all day, declaring it was a pretty state of things, to be sure, and that next they should know they should wake up some morning and find that Caesar had been gobbled up in the night and run off with. "'but Harry and I calmed the fears which this seemed to excite in his breast "'by a vivid description of the two guns over Miss Mehetiple's garret "'and of the use that we should certainly make of them "'in case of an attack on Caesar. "'The chase, however, was conducted with such fire and ardour "'that before moonrise on the same night "'the captives were brought back in triumph to Old Town Village "'and lodged for safekeeping in my grandmother's house "'who spared nothing in their entertainment.' a happy man was sam lawson that evening as he sat in the chimney-corner and sipped his mug of cider and recounted his adventures lordy Massy, well "'Twas providential we took Colonel Davenport along with us, I tell you. He talked to them fellers in a way that made them in their shoes. Why, Lordy messy! when we first came and sight on em, Mr. Sherrill and me, we was in the foremost wagon, and we saw them before us just as we got to the top of a long winding hill. And I tell you, if they didn't whip up and go lickety split down that there hill, I tell you, they rattled them chillin' as if they'd been so many punkins, and I tell you, one of them darn old young'uns flew right over the side of the wagon and just picked itself up as lively as a cricket and never cried. We didn't stop to take it up, but just kept right along at her, and Mr. Sherrill, he hollers out, Whoa, whoa, stop, stop, thief, as loud as he could yell. But they just laughed at him. But Colonel Davenport he come ridin' by on horseback like thunder, and drive right by 'em, and then turn round and charge down on their horses, so it driv em right out the road, or the wagon was upset and the fellers they was pitched out, and in a minute Colonel Davenport had one of 'em by the collar and his pistol right out on the head of t'other. Now, says he, if you stir, you're a dead man. "'Well, Mr. Sherrill, he made out of the other one. "'He always means mighty well, Mr. Sherrill does. "'He'd get a long jump, he did, "'and he lit right in the middle of a tuft of blackberry bushes "'and tore his breeches as if the heavens and earth was a-goin' asunder. "'You see, they never'd got him "'if it hadn't been for Colonel Davenport. "'He kept the other feller under range of his pistol "'and told him he'd shoot him if he stirred, "'and the feller, he was scared to death.' and he roared and begged for mercy in a way twould have done your heart good to hear well well the upshot on it all was when israel Scran come down with his boy they was in the back wagon they got out the ropes and tied em up snug and have been a fetchin' em on along to jail where i guess they'll have one spell a considerin' their ways but lord and massy you never seen such a sight as your uncle's breeches was Miss Cheryl, she says she never seen the beater of him for always going off in his best clothes. Cause, you see, he heard the news early and he just whips on his Thanksgiving clothes and went off in em just as he was. His intentions is always so good. It's a pity, though, he don't take more time to consider. Now, I think folks ought to take things more moderate. You see, these folks that hurries always, they gets into scrapes. It's just what I'm always a-tellin' Hepsy. Who were the fellows, do you know? Said my grandmother. Well, one on em was one of them Hessians that come over in the war times. He is a stupid critter. But the other is with a huldy Miller's son down to Blackbrook there. Do tell, said my grandmother with the liveliest concern. Has F. Miller come to that? "'Yes, yes,' said Sam. "'It's F, sure enough. "'He was exalted to heaven in point of privilege, "'but he took to drink and unsteady ways in the army, "'and now here he is in jail. "'I tell you, I tried to set it home to F "'when I was a-bringin' on him home in the wagon, "'but, Lordy Massy, we don't none of us like to have our sins set in order for us. "'There was David now.' he was crank as could be when he thought nathan was a-talkin about other people's sins says david the man that did that shall surely die but come to set it home and say thou art the man david caved right in lordy massy bless your soul and body nathan says he i don't want to die it will be seen by these edifying moralizings how eminently scriptural was the course of sam's mind in fact, his turn for long-winded, pious reflection was not the least among his many miscellaneous accomplishments. As to my grandmother, she busied herself in comforting the hearts of Aunt Nancy and the children with more than they could eat of the relics of the Thanksgiving feast, and bidding them not to be downhearted nor afeard of anything, for the neighbors would all stand up for them, confirming her words with well-known quotations from the Old Testament, to the effect that, the triumphing of the wicked is short and that evil-doers shall soon be cut off from the earth this incident gave ellery davenport a widespread popularity in the circles of old town my grandmother was predisposed to look on him with complacency as a grandson of president edwards although he took apparently a freakish delight in shocking the respectable prejudices and disappointing the reasonable expectations of people in this regard by assuming in every conversation precisely the sentiments that could have been least expected of him in view of such a paternity in fact ellery davenport was one of those talkers who delight to maintain the contrary of every proposition started and who enjoy the bustle and confusion which they thus make in every circle in good, earnest, intense New England, where every idea was taken up and sifted with serious solemnity, and investigated with a view to an immediate practical action upon it, as true or false, this glittering, fanciful system of fencing which he kept up on all subjects, maintaining with equal brilliancy and ingenuity, this to-day and that to-morrow, might possibly have drawn down upon a man a certain horror, as a professed scoffer and a bitter enemy of all that is good but ellery davenport with all his apparent carelessness understood himself and the world he moved in perfectly he never lost sight of the effect he was producing on any mind and had an intuitive judgment in every situation of exactly how far he might go without going too far the position of such young men as Ellery Davenport, in a theocratic state of society in New England at this time, can be understood only by considering the theologic movements of their period. The colonists who founded Massachusetts were men whose doctrine of a Christian church in regard to the position of its children was essentially the same as that of the Church of England. Thus we find in Dr. Cotton Mather this statement. Quote, they did all agree with their brethren at Plymouth in this point, that the children of the faithful were church members with their parents, and that their baptism was a seal of their being so. Only, before their admission to fellowship in any particular church, it was judged necessary that, being free from scandal in life, they should be examined by the elders of the church, upon whose approbation of their fitness they should publicly and personally own the covenant, and so be received unto the table of the Lord. And accordingly, the eldest son of Mr. Higginson, being about fifteen years of age, and laudably answering all the characters expected in the communicant, was then so received. End quote. The colony, under Governor Winthrop and Thomas Dudley, was, in fact, composed of men in all but political opinion, warmly attached to the Church of England, and they published on their departure a tract called, quote, "The humble request of His Majesty's loyal subjects, the Governor and company lately gone for New England, for the obtaining of their prayers and the removal of suspicions and misconstruction of their intentions." End quote and in this address they called the church of england their dear mother acknowledging that such hope and part as they had attained in the common salvation they had sucked from her breasts and entreating their many reverend fathers and brethren to recommend them unto the mercies of god in their constant prayers as a church now springing out of their own bowels Originally, therefore, the first young people who grew up in New England were taught in their earliest childhood to regard themselves as already members of the church, as under obligations to comport themselves accordingly, and at a very early age it was expected of them that they would come forward by their own act and confirm the action of their parents in their baptism in a manner much the same in general effect as confirmation in England the immediate result of this was much sympathy on the part of the children and young people with the religious views of their parents and a sort of growing up into them from generation to generation but, as the world is always tending to become unspiritual and mechanical in its views and sentiments, the defect of the species of religion thus engendered was a want of that vitality and warmth of emotion which attend the convert whose mind has come out of darkness into marvelous light, who has passed through interior conflicts which have agitated his soul to the very depths, so there was always a party in New England who maintained that only those who could relate a change so marked as to be characterized as supernatural should hope that they were the true elect of God, or be received in churches and acknowledged as true Christians. Many pages of Cotton Mather record the earnest attention which not only the ministers, but the governors and magistrates of New England in her early days— gave to the question quote, what is the true position of the baptized children of the church and Cotton mather who was warmly in favor of the church of england platform in this respect says quote, it was the study of those prudent men who might be called our seers that the children of the faithful should be kept as far as may be under a church watch in expectation that they might be in a fairer way to receive the grace of god so that the prosperous condition of religion in our churches might not be a matter of one age alone old cotton waxes warm in arguing this subject as follows quote, the scriptures tell us that men's denying the children of the church to have any part in the Lord hath a strong tendency in it to make them cease from fearing the Lord and harden their hearts from his fear. But the awful obligations of covenant interests have a great tendency to soften the heart and break it and draw it home to God. Hence, when the Lord would powerfully win men to obedience, he often begins with this, that he is their God. The way of the Anabaptists to admit none unto membership and baptism but adult professors is the straightest way. One would think it should be a way of great purity, but experience hath shown that it has been an inlet unto great corruption and a troublesome, dangerous underminer of reformation. End quote. And then old Cotton adds these words, certainly as explicit as even the modern Puseyite could desire. Quote, if we do not keep in the way of a converting grace-giving covenant and keep persons under those church dispensations wherein grace is given the church will die of a lingering though not a violent death the lord hath not set up churches only that a few christians may keep one another warm while they live and then carry away the church into the cold grave with them when they die no but that they might with all care and with all the obligations and advantages to that care that may be nurse up another generation of subjects to our lord that may stand up in his kingdom when they are gone it was for some time doubtful whether the new england church would organize itself and seek its own perpetuation on the educational basis which has been the foundation of the majority of the christian church elsewhere and the question was decided as such society questions often are by the vigor and power of one man jonathan edwards a man who united in himself the natures of both a poet and a metaphysician all whose experiences and feelings were as much more intense than those of common men as dante's or milton's fell into the error of making his own constitutional religious experience the measure and standard of all others, and revolutionizing by it the institutions of the Pilgrim Fathers. Regeneration, as he taught it in his Treatise on the Affections, was the implantation by divine power of a new spiritual sense in the soul, as diverse from all other senses as seeing is from hearing or tasting from smelling. No one that had not received this new divine supernatural sense could properly belong to the Church of Christ, and all men, until they did receive it, were naturally and constitutionally enemies of God to such a degree that, as he says in a sermon to that effect, quote, If they had God in their power, they would kill him. End quote it was his power and his influence which succeeded in completely upsetting new england from the basis on which the reformers and the puritan fathers had placed her and casting out of the church the children of the very saints and martyrs who had come to this country for no other reason than to found a church it is remarkable that in all the discussions of depravity inherited from Adam, it never seemed to occur to any theologian that there might also be a counterworking of the great law of descent by which the feelings and habits of thought wrought in the human mind by Jesus Christ might descend through generations of Christians, so that in course of time many might be born predisposed to good rather than to evil cotton mather fearlessly says that quote, the seed of the church are born holy not of course meaning it in the strictly theological sense but certainly indicating that in his day a mild and genial spirit of hope breathed over the cradle of infancy and childhood those very persons whom president edwards addresses in such merciless terms of denunciation in his sermons telling them that the earth daily groans to open under them and that the wind and the sun and the waters are all weary of them and longing to break forth and execute the wrath of god upon them were the children for uncounted generations back of fathers and mothers nursed in the bosom of the church trained in the habits of daily prayer brought up to patience and self-sacrifice and self-denial as the very bread of their daily being and lacking only this supernatural sixth sense the want of which brought upon them a guilt so tremendous the consequence was that immediately after the time of president edwards there grew up in the very bosom of the new england church a set of young people who were not merely indifferent to religion but who hated it with the whole energy of their being ellery davenport's feeling toward the church and religion had all the bitterness of the disinherited son who likes nothing better than to point out the faults in those favored children who enjoy the privileges of which he is deprived all the consequences that good motherly cotton mather had foreseen as likely to result from the proposed system of arranging the church were strikingly verified in his case he had not been able entirely to rid himself of a belief in what he hated the danger of all such violent recoils from the religion of one's childhood consists in this fact that the person is always secretly uncertain that he may not be opposing truth and virtue itself he struggles confusedly with the faith of his mother, the prayers of his father, with whatever there may be holy and noble in the profession of that faith from which he has broken away, and few escape a very serious shock to conscience and their moral nature in doing it. Ellery Davenport was at war with himself, at war with the traditions of his ancestry, and had the feeling that he was regarded in the Puritan community as an apostate, but he took a perverse pleasure in making his position good by a brilliancy of wit and grace of manner which few could resist and truth to say his success even with the more rigid justified his self-confidence as during these days there were very few young people who made any profession of religion at all the latitude of expression which he allowed himself on these subjects was looked upon as a sort of spiritual sowing of wild oats Heads would be gravely shaken over him. One and another would say, Ah, that Edward's blood is smart. It runs pretty wild in youth, but the Lord's time may come by and by. And I doubt not that my grandmother that very night before she slept wrestled with God in prayer for his soul with all the enthusiasm of a Monica for a Saint Augustine meanwhile with that easy facility which enabled him to please everybody he became during the course of his somewhat extended visit which he made at the minister's rather a hero in old town what colonel davenport said and what colonel davenport did were spoken of from mouth to mouth even his wicked wit was repeated by the gravest and most pious, of course with some expressions of disclaimer, but, after all, with that genuine pleasure which a Yankee never fails to feel in anything smartly and neatly hit off in language. He cultivated a great friendship with Miss Mehetable, talking with her of books and literature and foreign countries, and advising her in regard to the education of Tina with great unction and gravity. With that little princess there was always a sort of half-whimsical flirtation, as she demurely insisted on being treated by him as a woman rather than as a child, a caprice which amused him greatly. Miss Mehetable felt herself irresistibly drawn in his society, as almost everybody else was, to make a confidant of him." He was so winning, so obliging, so gentle, and knew so well just where and how to turn the conversation to avoid anything that he didn't like to hear, and to hear anything that he did. So gently did his fingers run over the gamut of everybody's nature that nobody dreamed of being played on. Such men are not, of course, villains, but if they ever should happen to wish to become so, their nature gives them every facility before she knew what she was about miss mehetable found herself talking with ellery davenport on the strange mysterious sorrow which embittered her life and she found a most sympathetic and respectful listener ellery davenport was already versed in diplomatic life and had held for a year or two a situation of importance at the court of france was soon to return thither and also to be employed on diplomatic service in england could he, would he, find any traces of the lost one there? On this subject there were long, and on the part of Miss Mehetable, agitating interviews, which much excited Miss Tina's curiosity. End of chapter 28